you're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 19 in just a moment. I think it was over uh, maybe uh, 20 years ago, I think it was December of... Um, 2003 in a Reader's Digest that they told the story of a reporter who asked a bank president uh, about the secret of success. And the president said, well, I'll tell you, it's two words. The reporter said, well, what are they? He said, uh, right decisions. He said, okay, well, how do, you, how do you make right decisions? The president says one word, experience. The reporter said, well, well, how do you get experience? He said two words, wrong decisions. (laughs) And uh, I want you to look at your neighbor right now and tell him, now I know the secret of your success. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) It's because all those wrong decisions. Church, we have a lifetime of experience, don't we? Right? Some of us more than others. I was talking to a couple this morning that's going on 60 years marriage in marriage. And I can imagine there's a lot of mistakes in 60 years of marriage. And do you know what's wonderful uh, about our Savior? He doesn't waste one single wrong decision. He does not waste them. And we need, we need to listen to what he has to say. We need to make sure we don't waste those experiences either. And in John 21, 1 through 19, there's this epic story of an epic disciple who made some epic mistakes. And I believe they became part of the secret to his success. So I want us to read this together. You can stay seated. It's a long passage and I would rather you think about it uh, than exercise. John 21, verse 1, these are the words of God. And after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the same as the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm about to go fishing. (laughs) And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They said to him, no. He said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard this, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, uh, and uh, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And, and so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. He appeals to the omniscience of God. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I want to ask Steve Randall. If he's, yeah, there you go. Steve, would you come and ask God's blessings on the message today? And thank you again for that incredible testimony this morning let us pray heavenly father we just thank you for this morning lord thank you that we can come into your presence lord and humbly accept your word the truth that you have for us i pray that you will just open our hearts and our minds lord um and feed us. Let us hear your words, Lord. Let them apply them to our lives. Change us, mold us, make us. Challenge us to walk closer with you, Lord. Just bless Swint as he reads the word and shares the word. Uh, let it be a blessing and an encouragement to all of us. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. How in the world can sinfulness be a secret to success? Uh, well, Jesus is about to show us, and he begins with paralyzing grief. And for those that may not be familiar with Peter's denial, back in Matthew 26, verse 34, Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Of course, that prophecy was fulfilled later in verse 35 at the end of the chapter. It says, And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And that was the end of that. <laughs> right? Jesus went on to die, and I cannot imagine the pain that Peter must have felt. Of course, Peter did get to go after his death into the empty tomb, and so I believe uh, what we see in this passage, and what I want to share with you this morning first, is that grief is often greater after success. And that is part of uh, Steve's testimony this morning. Grief is often greater after success. I mentioned in a previous sermon that uh, sometime back that uh, Peter went from hero to zero uh, because from the world standpoint, he was a, a pretty well-rounded man. He was a pretty successful guy. He'd been brought up in a modest family. Uh, he was born as Simon in Bethesda around 1 BC, historians say. Uh, Bethesda meant city of fish or literally house of the hunt. So their economy was based on fishing and John 144 says now Philip and uh, uh, was from Bethesda the city of Andrew and Peter so we knew he lived in Bethesda but then it, over in Mark 1 verse 21 uh, it says that they were uh, they went into Capernaum verse 29 and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon that's Peter and Andrew 
with James and John. So he grew up in Bethesda, but moved to Capernaum about five miles away, which is ironically the city of comfort. And they probably moved there for a tax break, literally, uh, on their fishing business. And I don't have time to go into all that, but Peter was a simple, sharp, manly man, right? Fishing was, back then, you're like, hey, I would have loved to have had a, a fishing career. Hey, fishing is a tough career. It, it was hard, it was brutal, it was physical, it was demanding, not to mention all the storms on the Sea of Galilee that could blow up in a minute. But Peter uh, was a manly man. He also married, he was a family man. He married around 26 AD. In Luke 4, verse 38, it mentions his mother-in-law. Uh, Paul over in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, uh, says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas is another word for Peter. And so a pretty rounded and grounded man, both in the world and in the Lord. Matthew 4 verse 18 says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So Peter was a follower of Jesus. Mark 3 verse 16 says, Jesus appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. You know, Simon, by the way, means shaky, but Peter means rock. It's, it's really a testimony of what God did in his life. Peter's very name represents the salvation of Christ in his life. And you may remember Jesus climbing into Simon's boat uh, to preach over in John chapter 5 maybe the end of chapter four, but there was a large crowd on the, on the shore there. And so he climbs into Peter's boat. And after he got through preaching that message, I don't know if you remember, uh, but right after the message, he went fishing and uh, with Jesus straight from the boat. Uh, Luke five, verse four, he said to Simon, uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we worked all night. We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. <laughs> that was a different story. And Peter in verse eight uh, fell down because of that at Jesus' knees and said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. I don't deserve this grace. I don't deserve this catch. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Matthew 16, verse 15, Jesus said to him, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. We mentioned last week that confessing Christ is necessary for salvation. That's what Caden Choate did this morning. He confessed publicly with his baptism that Jesus Christ is his Lord. And that's exactly what Peter did. He was well-rounded. He was well-grounded. He was bold. He was ready to serve. Uh, Matthew 14, 29 says that Christ called to him and Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. Say whatever you want to say about Peter, but there's only two guys in the Bible, two guys in history that have ever really walked on water and one of them made the water, <laughs> right? So Peter was a success, but success has a weird way of making you look back on a time when you had more of it, right? Where your life uh, was better, uh, where you were less sinful, maybe closer to Christ, your heart was right, your heart was pure, your life was wonderful, you hadn't made some of the mistakes you've made, or at least it was at least better than it is now. Grief is often greater after success. It hurts a little more, doesn't it? 
grief can also be greater as a leader. And we have lots of leaders in here. We have pilots and captains and heads of departments and COOs and CEOs and company owners and uh, teachers, Sunday school teachers. And uh, we have leaders. A lot of people in this room are the buck stops here people. You have responsibility on your shoulders and it's, it's tough to fall from grace, right? And maybe it sounds arrogant or incorrect to say, you know, it's lonely at the top as if we think we're at the top. But I will say this, it is lonely out front. When you're leading a group of anyone to do anything, you get lonely out there. You, you, get, you get too far out there by yourself. And this is the guy, Peter's the guy who told Jesus in Matthew 26, 33, though they all fall away because of you, I'll never do it. I'll never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. He said, nah, even if I must die with you, I'll crawl up on that dadgum cross with you. I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. They followed, the disciples followed Peter. Peter was a natural leader. What he did, they did. When you're the leader and you come up short, it's more than a personal failure. It's a public embarrassment. It's embarrassing to fail, isn't it? Mm. When our older kids were, were, would trip and fall and do something stupid in front of other people, <laughs> I'd always ask them, I said, well, but was there anybody attractive watching, right? You know, was there, if it was my daughter, I'd be like, well, was there any cute boys that saw you? She's like, what are you talking about, Dad? Hey, y'all don't question my sarcastic parenting style. Don't judge me, all right? Just deflecting. I was just getting their mind off how stupid they just acted, all right? It's like a tree falling in, in, uh, in the forest, right? <laughs> and uh, no one hears it. They fall. Trees fall in the forest and no one hears them, right? Does that make a sound, right? But then if a tree falls, which I've seen a tree fall in my front yard in Virginia one time during a storm, took out the power lines to my house and totaled my neighbor's car. Same event, a tree fell, but a lot different outcome, wasn't it? It just, when you're a leader, it just, it just, it hurts more. It, it feels like there's more damage that's, that's done. Mark 14, 29, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And here he is in John 21, verse two, Simon Peter, uh, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, uh, the sons of Zebedee, two others. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. I've already denied him. I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. He can't even, everywhere he goes, he's leading in good or bad directions. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Listen to what one pastor said. This is actually Alistair Begg. Uh, who said this, at the heart of this little scenario is Peter himself. The Peter who by dint of his denial of Jesus was apparently in this declaration, this return to his old life saying, I had my chance and I blew it. I betrayed him. I, the one who vowed that I could play the hero, that even if everyone else deserted him and fled, I, the one who said, I'll never do this, Lord Jesus, you can count on me. Here, here I am. The one who thought he would play the hero, standing as a testimony, as a visual illustration of the worst that is represented of cowardice. You ever feel that way? 
And I always like to ask people that say they just bought a motorcycle or say they own a motorcycle. I say, well, when's the first time you laid it down? And if they say, well, I've never wrecked. I'm like, well, you don't ride motorcycles, do you? Because if you've ridden motorcycles, right, you're going you're gonna to fall over. You're going to slam on the brakes. You're going to hit some gravel and spin out. Every Christian ditches the bike at some moment, right? And you know, the very first time I got on a dirt bike, I'd been, I don't know if I'd been watching X Games or what. Did they have X Games in the 80s? And, uh, but when I was down at Covenant Pike Bottoms. I was on my four-wheeler. I wanted to ride my, my friend's dirt bike. And so we had, they had these berms that were like 10 feet tall. I thought, I'm going to lay that sucker out just like I, as seen on TV. <laughs> and I laid it out all right. I, lay, I mean, I was, I was a good eight, 10 feet in the air when I, I mean, I wound it up that, and, uh, but I didn't know how to land. And, uh, but I did land. I did land all straight up nosedive, twisted the handlebars, about broke my shoulder, knocked the breath out of me. Um, and my friend rode the bike the rest of the day like this. Uh, high jumps, hard falls, right? All or nothing. John 21 verse 3 says, that night they caught nothing. And I can just see Peter <laughs> wanting to just tear the nets up and burn them. Like, I can't even fish. I can't even catch a fish, much less a break, right? Did y'all ever feel that level of grief? Where you seem to have blown everything you've been working so hard to build. Success and leadership make for paralyzing grief, and I believe Peter felt it. But good grief should not be mistaken for habitual rebellion. Peter's temper and spontaneity may have been a recurring pattern, but his denial was not. Now, sin is sin for the most part, but there are habitual sins, patterns of sins, reputations of sins that the Bible places into a different category of rebellion. It doesn't mean you're without hope when you're in that pattern. It just means you're not saved. Don't confuse lifestyles of sins, patterns of unrepentant disobedience to the simple and clear commands of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't confuse those as grievances that you just need to, you know, run back to God and have a little nod to God moment for forgiveness over and over and over and over and over and over and over. First John 3 verse 6, seven times alludes to the practice and the keeping on of sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, his spiritual seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Hebrews 10 verse 26. If we... Go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. There's no longer remaining for us a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fear, fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Don't be scared. I mean, but be, if you're going to be scared, be scared into repentance and the kingdom of God. John 8, 34, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave 
to sin. 1 John 5, 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, Holy Spirit protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Grief is greater after success and, af and as a leader, but good grief still exhibits desires and convictions to break loose from the chains of sins that are recurring over and over in our life. That's why 1 Corinthians 10.13 coaches us saying there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to all men. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape so that you'll be able to bear it. That's why 1 John 2 verse 1 comforts us saying, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's why the psalmist cries out in Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 19 verse 13, keep back your servant please, Lord, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. That's why Hebrews 12 verse 4 challenges, uh, challenges us saying, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Praise God for the discipline. It's a reminder that I'm saved. God's not a short line at a theme park that you can jump on the ride, run around real quick and get back in line over and over and ride the ride as long as you want because there's nobody else at the park. Don't mistake good grief for habitual rebellion. There is a way out of your cycle, right? <laughs> you may need to just trust Christ and be saved. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to attack the sins in your life. You're going to. You cannot live with the sin in your life. You're a miserable Christian. You know it. We've all been there. Don't try to look spiritual to me. I sin just like you. You're not hiding anything from me because I've read the truth in the Word of God. And I know you because the Bible knows you. <laughs> and you know me. No matter how holy you think your preacher is, just read the Bible and you'll find out how unholy I am. Charles Spurgeon was emphasizing to his class the importance of making facial expressions harmonize with your speech. He said, when you talk about heaven, let your face light up. Let it be irradiated with a heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine with reflected glory. But when you speak of hell, your ordinary face will do. <laughs> <laughs> Peter had been three years with Jesus speaking of heaven, living with heaven. And here he is back to his ordinary life, ordinary face, unfit for any task that God might have for him. So he thought, so he goes back to unsuccessful fishing. He was moving, but he was paralyzed with grief. He was a bench warmer. He was sidelined. He was ejected from the game. So he thought, enter Jesus to the seashores of our empty nets. If your net's empty, look to the seashore of Christ because he's ready to fill them up. And he's going to tell you, pitch that net the other way and just see what happens. And then he brought with him, second point this morning, and that's patient 
restoration. First, Jesus is calm. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus uh, didn't blow a gasket here. It says, they, when they had finished breakfast, he says to Peter. He didn't even start talking to Peter until they cooked a meal, sat down, had some fellowship, and eaten a meal together. He doesn't look at him and say, you punk. After all I've done for you, you want to sit here? You want me to cook for you? You denied even knowing me. John 21, verse 7, that, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was you know, stripped down to his bare garments. He wasn't butt naked out in the middle of the uh, Sea of Galilee, but he, he threw himself into the sea. Why would you put on garments, by the way, <laughs> to, to, to jump into the water? Because when you're in that day in the east, when you were going to see a superior, you had to be, you had to be clothed, fully clothed. And so he was showing reverence to God. He swam 100 yards in a robe, right? I hope it wasn't too thick. But he didn't even recognize Jesus. John had to tell him who he was, right? But if, if this were a movie, I think we'd portray Jesus as going all Jason Bourne on him, right? He swims up to shore, you know, thinking he's going to be some hero. You know, look at me. I jumped out of the boat. Jesus picks him up by the nap of his robe smacks him a few times, throws him down on the sand, kicks some sand in his face. How dare you? Right? That's how we like to portray Jesus. Right? We like that Jesus. Yeah. Flex some muscles, Jesus. Smack him around a little bit, Lord. That's how we portray him when he cleansed the temple. We think of it that way. He cleansed the temple twice. John 2.13, after, after he turned water into wine at the, in Cana, he... he goes in and cleanses the temple. And again, he did it, does it in Matthew 21, verse 12, uh, during Passion Week. But in John 2, 15, in that account, it says, and making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple. It takes time to make a whip, right? You got to go get the, the, the leather, the materials. You got to sit down. You got to weave that joker together. Jesus wasn't some restless, ancient, uh, I mean, anxious, uh, angry, bubbling over with misplaced and misdirected impatience, right? It takes time to make a whip and it takes time to make breakfast. <laughs> and Jesus made both. And it's impossible to overstate this. And it was impossible for Peter to overstate it because he throws this in in one of his letters in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And I think when Peter was writing those words down, or he was having the scribe write it down, I think he wrote a little darker. I think if there was an original papyrus of that original letter, it'd just be a little deeper, you know, a little thicker ink. John 21 verse 15 says, when they had finished Breakfast, And I'm not trying to read too much into this isolated moment because we have plenty of examples of Jesus displaying his patience. But I will say in principle, rebuke is always better received on a full stomach. <laughs> All right. That's why we fed you at the men's breakfast before this morning so I could yell at you as your preacher. Hey, Jesus was calm. But second, Jesus is calculated. First, he, he reminds them that he knows where the fish are at, you know. Men usually overstate their fishing count, don't we? It was, it was this big. I caught this many fish. I, was, I caught five to ten. You caught four, but good try, right? Five to ten. 
right? I mean, it's probably a good seven pounds. Yeah, with the lead you dropped in it, right? But Jesus understates what he's going to do. He said, cast your net on the right side of the boat in verse 6. You'll find some, some, yes, some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. It's a reminder of the words that God, that Jesus had already spoken to them in John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nada, zip, nothing. Go ahead, knock yourself out. You notice John 21, verse 9, it says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you caught. All right? Jesus had his own fish and his own bread, right, on the grill already. I, and he's making a statement with everything he's doing here. Why don't y'all come and add your fish to it? He was prepared for this. Jesus is showing them what he said in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. With man, it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. I'll give you fish though you fished all night and caught nothing. I'll fill your net up. I'll keep it from breaking. Jesus is prepared and he's calculated on the seashores of our souls. And finally, Jesus was compassionate. And if you've ever heard a sermon on this before, then you remember that this is like three groups of threes. He's appeared three times to them. There were, before those appearances, before his death, there were three denials by Peter, three questions from Jesus to Peter, three confessions and three encouraging recommissions, right? It's all part of Christ's compassion. And Jesus is showing Peter that the works of feeding and tending the sheep of God are the very things that Peter needs to go and do to display the words that are coming out of his mouth. Get back to work. Get on to serving God. Stop thinking that you have to reach some sinless perfection before you can start serving God. Now, this doesn't mean that our church doesn't have standards. We don't want people in leadership in our church that have habitual sins. Uh, we don't want them serving in ministry. It doesn't mean that they can't be restored. It can't mean, doesn't mean that they're not forgiven. It doesn't mean that we're better than them. But that doesn't mean that those people can't serve God in some way after repentance. Jesus is compassionate because he offers forgiveness where there was none, fish where there were none, healing for your grief, recommissioning for your broken soul. So get off the rat wheel of your own self-pity and sin and start serving God again. Crack on. My, my, I tell, told this story several times, but my, at my wedding, there were, you know, my, my father-in-law was a pastor. My mother served, uh, like helped with every wedding. So there were 800 people at our wedding. I mean, the, the church I was at was packed. 800 signed the registry. I don't know how many were there, but not a seat empty, balcony and everything. And I was nervous as a cat. And I'd gone out to use the restroom. Vicky hadn't come out yet. And uh, I was out in the hall by myself staring down the staring from the back in at all these people. I mean, I was just nervous. Nobody was out in the foyer, this massive foyer. And my grandfather, Vicky's grandfather's gone on to be with the Lord. He comes up beside me with a cane. And he looks at me and, you know, I'm like shaking. And he goes, stand up straight, boy. <laughs> he says, stick your chest out. And he took his cane and he went, Wah! and he hit me across the back of the legs. He goes, now go in there and do what you came to do. 
I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know? And, and, and I really believe that in a similar way, that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, get on with it. Get over yourself. You're always going to be a wicked man without Christ. The only righteousness you possess is because of the blood of Jesus that I laid out for you. So quit whining about it and get on with it. You're, you're over here trying to fix all these bad things. Oh, if I could just get this right. And he's, if you'll pursue Christ, half those things will stop anyway. You won't have time. You'll be too busy serving the Lord to get into trouble. Let Christ turn your memory of your past mistakes into motivation for your future ministry. Jesus doesn't waste one single one single denial of Peter, does he? He turned them into humble motivations to reach the world for Jesus. Peter is a hero of the faith. And you can be too. So get on with it. We're going to have a time of Lord's Supper now. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And what a great time for this passage. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, and by the way, he wasn't just betrayed by Judas. You know, he was denied by every one of his, you know, his, Peter wasn't the only one that walked away. Peter was the only one that vehemently denied him, but they all fell away. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In a moment we're going to stand and after I pray you can make your way if you're a guest. You can make your way if you're a born again believer. Uh, to one of the Lord's Supper tables. There's five of them, I think, spread out to the sanctuary. If, if you come to one, it, it runs out, go to another one. And there should be plenty. And take two cups. The bottom cup has the bread. The top cup is stacked on it with the wine. And take those two cups and go back to your seat. You can pray there uh, in the quietness of your heart there at your seat with your family. And then take the Lord's Supper. And after that, I'll have us all stand up for our time of uh, response. That's the time where people that want to join the church to serve the Lord here use their gifts for God in the local community, local church, uh, or maybe you want to publicly profess Christ or get your baptism on the right side of your salvation, that would be the time to make those decisions. Would you stand? Father God, uh, we look at the life of Peter and we look back over our life and there is a lot of shade. There's a lot of failure and in the words of that banker, there's a lot of experience from our wrong decisions. But God, I thank you that not one of our sinful mistakes is wasted in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. But you take our past failures and you turn them into motivation to love others better, to serve you better to live more like you.
to obey your commands. And I pray that today, if there's a heart, if there's a soul that thinks I'm too far from God, that they have heard this message and your Holy Spirit would penetrate their heart and push them into the kingdom of God. Push them toward faith. Let them repent of their sin and call on the name of Jesus, just like Caden Choate did. Doesn't matter if you're a kid or you're 80 years old, you can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. If you cry out to him, he'll hear you and he'll save you. He doesn't want one soul to perish. So cry out to him. And if you're a, uh, already saved, maybe you haven't gotten your baptism on the right side of your salvation, you may need to be baptized. You've known the Lord for years, but just didn't need to nail that down. Then you could come, or maybe you just uh, want to come to the altar and pray. I pray that as we take the Lord's Supper and as we have a time of response after, Lord, that your name would be glorified. Lord, take the bread and take the wine. And let it remind us of your body and blood that was broken and poured out for us. I pray that we would take it in a worthy manner. That if there's sins we need to confess, we would confess them now. And that your name would be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.